very kind. Thank you, uh, and good morning. Great to be with you. I'm already enjoying this pursuit a little bit more than the last one I was at. It was a great day last time I was here, but um, it was <laughs> towards the end of the day, some local youths from Nottingham came in, and we were serving jam donuts, <laughs> and they started throwing them at me. <laughs> so, I mean, the day is still young, but already it is an upgrade. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 in the NIV says this, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? For so many in this room, this will describe to an absolute T what has happened to your journey of following Jesus. If you were to rewind two years ago to the beginning of, uh, of 2020, you were doing so well. You were running well with Jesus. Your life in God was progressing. You might have even said that your life in God was flourishing. You were walking with Jesus. You were growing in him. You were enjoying time with him. But then it wasn't so much who cut in on you, but what cut in on you. A virus cut in on you. Lockdown cut in on you, isolation cut in on you, church on a screen very much cut in on you, maybe loneliness, anxiety, purposelessness, all of those things cut in on you. There is something uniquely frustrating when you are driving a car and someone cuts you up. Of course, everybody in this room handles that frustration very, very well. Maybe just a leaning on the horn as the universal sign of, God bless you. <laughs> I am so pleased you've got ahead of me. But there is something about being cut up and something out of our control going in front of us and stopping us and getting in the way of our progress, impeding us, making us slow down. That is just really hard. And this last two years hasn't just been like we've been cut up, but it's like we've been cut up and then the car in front has just parked. And we've just been stopped. That for many of us, it feels like progress in God has finished or paused. But now, I think, I believe prophetically this morning, there is an invitation before all of us in this room today. An invitation to start running again. To pursuing Jesus again. Getting back on track. And that may then sound a lot like activity and energy, but I believe that the invitation before us today is pursuing Jesus and pursuing intimacy with Jesus. Pursuing exactly what was just coming out in the worship time just there. Chris even used a word, two words that I've got a lot in my notes here of intimacy and closeness with our King, this glorious, majestic, transcendent one, to depth of relationship with him again, that before we start a life of chasing after adventure and going after him with everything that we've got, that we just simply come to him, draw near to him, meet with him, enjoy his presence, that as we find ourselves in perhaps recovery mode after the last two years, he wants to restore relationship with us, and then I believe actually take us into a whole new place of depth and intimacy in him. 
that we would be able to then run faster and run healthier, perhaps, than we were before. So I'm calling today's message, Returning to the Vine. If you'd like to take notes, there you go. And the plan for uh, the rest of our time is I want to look in John chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to John 15. Always good to track along. Uh, and then we're going to spend a bit of time afterwards. We'll sing a song, have a bit of time for, for ministry, to pray for one another, um, or certainly come before Jesus and seek after his presence, meet him, encounter him, and then we're going to have lunch. John chapter 15, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his closest friends, followers, disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withered. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus begins this passage in verse 1 by saying, I am the true vine. And Jesus here is very much returning to his specialist subject, that throughout his whole ministry, he loves talking about things that grow. Whether he's talking about seeds or vineyards or trees or, in this case, an individual vine, he's just always talking about things that come out of the ground. And the vine, in particular, was deeply symbolic for the nation of Israel. It comes up a lot of times in the Old Testament that Israel is likened to a vine. And it would even, there was vine imagery adorning the, the entrance to the temple, um, whether that's kind of, they, they carved it in, or sometimes even used metal to kind of craft a vine to put out. It was a precious image for them. So they'd see it every time they were walking past or, uh, or going in. It was very much national symbol kind of stuff. It, it, this, this picture of the vine meant a lot. A bit like in the UK, we would have the queen as a, maybe a national symbol of some sort, or um, in Manchester, we would have the, the bee is very much a symbol of Manchester. In Birmingham, you might have the bull. In, Robin, uh, in Nottingham, you've got Robin Hood. And of course, in, in Newcastle, you've got Greg's. <laughs> and uh, it was representative. I thought that was maybe a bit unfair that I did do a Google. There is more Greg's in Newcastle than anywhere else. So <laughs> the vine represented everything that they were meant to be, a symbol of health, of vibrancy, of them being actually so healthy that they would produce fruit 
fruit that would then go out from beyond themselves and feed the nations, that they would be a flourishing, ever-growing plant, ever-expanding. But of course, this was what, all that they were meant to be. But actually, most of the time in the Old Testament, when you see them likened to the vine, it's talking about how Israel has failed to be what they are meant to be, failed to be the fruitful vine that they had always been called to be, and that they hadn't lived up to their potential, and that they hadn't flourished. And so with all of that in mind, Jesus then comes in here and says, I am the true vine. Liking him himself, saying, I am all that Israel was not. I am the true Israel. And at this point, we think, okay, half a verse in, we know where this is going. We can see where Jesus is headed. He's saying he is the fulfillment of all that Israel was not. And so surely over the next 10 and a half verses of our passage, what he's going to do, he's going to spell out and flesh out how he is the fulfillment of all that Israel was not, right? That he is going to be the flourishing one. He's going to be the fruitful one. He's going to succeed where they failed. Well, kind of, but actually not really. Because Jesus stops talking about himself almost entirely and starts talking about branches a lot. <laughs> starts talking about branches far more than anybody you would think should. <laughs> he does talk about the successful bearing of much fruit, but he says it's the branches that are the one that will bear much fruit the branches that are going to be all that Israel was meant to be and do all that Israel was meant to do. And as we go through, it becomes clear that the branches in verse 5 are his disciples, his closest followers. I am the vine, he says, and then just very clearly, you are the branches. Here's the twist. He says the people will be the ones that bear much fruit. They will be all that Israel is meant to be, but only through being branches that are connected into the vine. Branches in the language of Jesus that are abiding in the vine. And in this imagery, it is odd that he would just single out branches so regularly, so often. I would wager in your life, you have not spent too much time thinking about branches. Because why would you? I, I do think it is slightly odd if you were to go up to a tree. Not that you go up to a tree, you know what I mean, you see a tree. <laughs> hello, tree. But you wouldn't say, hello, branches. You wouldn't think, oh, there is a trunk, there is some leaves, there are some roots, and there is a collection of branches. Of course you wouldn't, you just think there's a tree. You think of it as this is one thing. It's a whole. And it's the same with a vine. You wouldn't think there's the, the trunk of the vine or whatever. You just, and there are the branches. You think there is a vine. It's one thing. That's precisely the point that Jesus is making with this image. That he's drawing his disciples in to this picture where he and his disciples are so deeply connected that they would be like a branch to its trunk. He wants to lead them into this life where he and his disciples will flourish 
together, where they will be fruitful together as one thing. This life of deep fellowship and intimate relationship with him, where they will depend on him and draw life and nourishment from him, like a branch does from its trunk inviting his disciples into this deep life of abiding in him. It's one of the most spectacular metaphors that we find in Jesus's ministry for the Christian life and what it looks like. You might have it underlined, you might have even drawn a nice picture of a vine next to it in your Bible order. It's so beautiful and so full of promise and so evocative, inspiring imagery But actually, I think we can sometimes miss what is then a stark contrast, maybe even a shocking contrast that Jesus draws in this. That he uses this beautiful picture of a life deeply rooted in him and then outlines just one alternative to this life. In verse 4, he says, a branch cannot live by itself. And then he ups the ante a little bit in verse 5. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he brings it all the way home in verse 6. Where he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. He's saying either we find ourselves in him, live this life as deeply abiding in him, or we wither. We dry up internally. We become quite literally dead wood, suitable only for the fire. I think one of the great tragedies of the last two years, I'm sure you have seen it too, is just the sheer number of young adults, people in this kind of demographic that are walking away from the church people deconstructing their faith and walking away, others perhaps that still kind of believe, but in the break over the lockdowns just haven't really seen any reason to return, others that really wanted to hold on but who've just had too many questions and it's been too difficult to find the right answers in the midst of a pandemic. There's a generation of Christians calling into question, do I really need Jesus? Maybe you've had friends that are like that, gone through those kind of questions. I imagine everybody in this room knows at least one person. It might even be your situation. Maybe you've come through it. Maybe you're right in the midst of it. Do I need Jesus? And to be honest, I completely understand. I can see and understand exactly why people would ask those kind of questions. Because we are bombarded every single day with a different narrative of who we need in our lives. From the messages that we hear, to the billboards that we see, to the sitcoms that we watch, to the YouTubers that we follow, to the feeds that we scroll, to the Guardian opinion articles that we say for later and then never actually read, to the conversations we overhear at the coffee shop, to even sometimes the hoodies that we wear, they are all preaching an alternative gospel that says to flourish, to be successful, to be all you need, you just need to look to yourself. That is the message all around us. Popular author Brene Brown, I think, encapsulates it in her best-selling book, Braving the Wilderness, where she says, 
True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in being part of something, both part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. Her message is clear that if you want to, that life is all about believing in yourself and belonging to yourself. You need you and only you. And if you have that, you have everything you need to flourish and be successful and be all you are meant to be. And the thing is, because we are raised in this kind of atmosphere and this is the culture that we all live in, intuitively, it actually sounds quite good, doesn't it? It sounds empowering. It sounds enticing and, and freeing to us. But to this message that we have all around us, Jesus speaks in and says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me and is not connected to me, he or she withers. And what's really sobering, I think, about this imagery is that withering takes time. That if a branch comes off for a little bit, it looks okay. Might even think, this is better. Not stuck to that boring old trunk anymore. How good is this? But over time, it dries up, becomes lifeless. It withers. That despite the booming voice of our culture and how good it can sound, we need to know we are not made to be individuals. We are not made to be independent. We are not made to exist in our own strength. We're not, not made to make our own way and to find life within ourselves and to be self-sustaining, self-empowered individuals. It's just not how we are made, not how we are created. We are made to be dependent. We are made for reliance. We are made to draw our life and draw our strength from outside of ourselves. We are made to belong to someone else. And to that, Jesus says, come and abide in me. As a parent of young children for the last five years, I have learned many, many things. One of those things that I've learned is that to be sure sometimes that your message is being heard by your intended audience, sometimes you have to repeat that message over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not saying that here Jesus is treating his disciples like three-year-olds, but he does say abide 10 times. <laughs> in the seven verses from verse 4 through to verse 10, that you think maybe perhaps he's trying to communicate something to them that needs to stick. Not just repeating the word abide, he is repeating the phrase abide in me over and over. In the NIV, you might have it as remain in me. As an alternative to being withering, dying branches, Jesus says, come and remain in me. Now, at this point, Jesus is sharing a last meal and some last moments with his closest friends, his closest followers and disciples. 
they have shared a lot of life together. They've been together every day for the last three years. And there's this uh, phrase, I guess, that intimacy is shared experience, that the more shared experience you have with someone, the closer you will be and the deeper your relationship will be. It's where the whole kind of band of brothers ideas comes from, from soldiers fighting in previous world wars, etc. And Jesus and his disciples have shared a lot of experience together over the last three years. They have seen the sick healed. They've banished demons together. They've miraculously catered for thousands of people at a time. They've gone sailing in storms when one of them has slept and some of them have panicked. They've had a go at walking on water. That's an experience to have. They've, had, they've rebuked one another. They've had to reconcile with one another all over again. They have been through a lot of life together. And we see at this meal that they're sharing at the end of Jesus' life just how close they have got. There's a moment where John leans his head on Jesus' chest, just the sign of closeness and intimacy between them. John, who is actually writing this gospel, refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, which perhaps doesn't win him too many points for humility, (laughs) but undoubtedly is accurate. These men... They were close. I wonder if actually this was perhaps the closest, the most intimate friendships and relationships that have ever existed. I think this doesn't get better than this, surely. And yet now, Jesus is saying to these same men, come and abide in me. For three years, they have known what it is like to be with Christ. They've had relationship with Christ. But now he's not saying to them, come and abide with me. He's saying to them, come and abide in me. Saying to these men who he could not know closer, come into me come closer. He's inviting them to a whole new level, whole new depth of relationship. I do wonder what was going through their heads when Jesus was in front of them saying, come and abide in me. They must have been looking at each other thinking, what does he want us to do? (laughs) Like, does he want us to take a run up? (laughs) Jump in? Peter, you go first. Like, what was he asking? It's just practically and physical, physically impossible for them to do. There's closeness and intimacy beyond their frame of reference. He's saying there is something more here for you to experience that is deeper than the, the closest personal, person-to-person relationship and fellowship you can experience. To a culture that says you just need to, excuse me, you just need to belong to yourself Jesus says, this is where you belong. Come to me. I am where you belong. Come and belong in me and find a depth of relationship where you just will not find anywhere else. And it's this deep and connected relationship to Jesus that for Jesus is the cornerstone to being his disciple. In these three chapters, this teaching over this last meal Jesus is essentially doing a discipleship crash course for these men. 
these last words that he has, he's about to leave earth. And he's looking for them not just to cling on to what they have, but to take what has started here in Jerusalem and go global with it. For he is trying to parcel up for them everything that they will need, everything that they need in order to be all that they have been called to be, all that they've been made to be, all they need to run well, to be healthy, flourishing, effective, radical, kingdom-building, world-changing disciples for him. And how does he use his time? He doesn't give them a list of dogmas that they need to try and live by. He's not handing them over a list of traditions that they need to try and uphold. He's not telling them which Christian blogs to read and which of the many Christian blogs not to read. Shout out to Tim Suffield, his, blo- his blog's on the read list. <laughs> not saying these are the podcasts that you should, be, you should be up to date with. This is the Bible in a Year plan app that will definitely help you find your stride in, in order to, to get your rhythm in, in reading my word. He just repeats over and over again, abide in me. You need me. You need to get as close to me as you possibly can. Not just in moments, but abide in me. Remain in me. Live your life in continued connection with me. Cultivate a life of dependence and reliance upon me. Learn what it is like to have a life where you draw all of your strength, all of your nourishment, all of your life for me. I remember a period in my own life where I distinctly realized this kind of relationship with Jesus was possible to have as a life and not just in moments. I was about 25 years old, so I will leave it to you to decide how long ago that was. And uh, I was part of the seven o'clock meeting here And I don't think was anything particularly special going on in the life of the church at large um, or in my own particular life. And so kind of it felt like out of nowhere, I entered into this period of, I called it gospel renewal at the time because it was the language that seemed to fit the most. And it's basically a term I'd pinched from a book I was reading. But over a period of weeks, maybe stretching into months, I can't quite remember, The best way that I can describe it was that every time I came to worship, every time I prayed, every time I read scripture, whether it was with the church at large, whether it was on my own time, it just felt like I was hearing the gospel for the first time. It just felt like I was meeting the person of Jesus, this Jesus that we have been worshiping this morning, this one who is beautiful and glorious and majestic and our king, that I was coming face to face with him and I was encountering him and meeting him and that he was in the room with me. For a a series of weeks and a series of months, just felt, I'm sure my memory is kind of exaggerating it slightly, but it just felt like every time I wanted to, every time I, 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 I was with him or made space to, I could encounter him, I could meet with him, enjoy his presence, learn more about him. No Jesus in the room. And of course, inevitably, as often, well, as always really with these kind of things, the intensity of it did fade. But 
my life was changed. My faith was changed. My understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple of him changed. I saw this was the life that was available, that while the experiences may not be as vivid every single time, that this person of Jesus was alive. He's real. He, he cares. He's around. He loves me. He's for me. He is not just a truth on a page, but he is a person that I can live in, I can abide in. And it's not then about living lives and chasing after those periods where things are so intense, but realizing it really is, he is always available to us. And as Jesus stands before the disciples here and invites them into a whole new level of intimacy and relationship with him, I believe he's extending out a similar invitation to us today. An invitation to return to the true vine and to step into a, a new level of relationship and intimacy with him. To know what it is like for us to live our lives in Jesus Christ. Abiding in him. This practical impossibility that confronted these disciples as they would then soon experience was made possible for them. Possible now for us. Made possible by God in the flesh before these men taking steps to change the very form in which he was present with them. Made possible only by God in the flesh leaving his disciples so God in the spirit could return. Only by his spirit could they abide in him and he in them. So he did. He left and returned by his spirit. This is how much he wants this life with us. He could have stayed eternally in the flesh, but he wanted us to know deeper level of connection and intimacy and relationship with him. This is the theme that runs through these whole, chapter, these whole three chapters of Jesus speaking. He's constantly referring back to the spirit, the gift of the spirit that is coming. Saying this life of abiding in me is for my disciples through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Live your life in the Spirit. Know the Holy Spirit. Experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. As he talks in these chapters, in chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but he says, I will come to you. He has a deep desire to come and be with us, to come and meet with us, to abide in us as we abide in him, to be as close to us as he possibly can be. With you, with me. These words, I will come to you, they are for you, whoever you are, however you have shown up today. These last two years have been brutal. 
many, I'm sure as I'm speaking, are thinking, I had this. I had this life. But too many months of being separated from my church family, not being with one another, living all of life on a screen, it's gone. I've lost it. And I've forgotten how. I just don't know how to get back to him. I think today he's saying, return. Come and rediscover again what this deep life of abiding can look like for you. There's others perhaps that you think, I have seen this in moments. I have been in the room when things like this has ha have happened. I've sort of seen it from afar, but I've never had it quite for myself. He says to you, come. Come and see that this really is for you. Get connected into the vine. For others, perhaps the disconnect from church and Christian living has led you to seek life in other places. Maybe obsession over your career or single-minded focus on self-improvement or maybe into darker places, maybe substance as coping mechanisms, maybe pornography addiction, whatever it is. To you, Jesus would say, come. Come and abide in me. Just as you are today, come. Let me restore you to life. Let me start you off again in this life with me. For all of us, learning this deep life of abiding in Christ through his Holy Spirit, this is the life that he longs for us to have. It's a life of health as we as branches experience the nourishing and the flourishing that comes as we are connected to the vine and know his life flowing through us. It's a life of productivity. It's a life of purpose as we know a bearing of much fruit and we see our lives meaning something. And it's a life full of joy. Let me read to you again how Jesus finishes this little bit. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is what the life of abiding in him can look like for us. And it is a life, not just moments. But I believe this morning he wants to invite us to take steps towards going deeper in this life together. Just before Chris comes up and we'll sing a song, as I was preparing for this, I had a picture that I think is from God. And I saw a picture of three separate tables next to each other. First table, knife, fork, plate, empty plate. Second table, knife, fork, plate, empty plate. Third table, knife, fork, plate, and then three whole meals stacked on top of each other. That I believe what God would want to communicate in that is that God recognizes that in these last two years, it has in many senses for us been a time of famine. It has been a time where we haven't been nourished in the way that we would normally should be. This isn't how things are meant to have been. But I think he, what he wants us to know is that within the years of famine, he has been preparing and readying for us a year of feasting. A year of feasting on him 
and in him. And I, I hope that this morning and today is a time for us of feasting. But I do think that it's broader than that, that he would want us as a people to have eyes of expectation and eyes of faith for the year ahead. And, and it might not be a year, a time, a season. You know, we're Christians, we like that word. A season of feasting in his presence. After the years of famine, feasting in him.